Today is April 17th, 2022. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Oki Naganago Mekoche Jestokom Aki. Or in Satudere, Dekots Nago Tine Siku. Hello, my name is Red Thunder Woman. My married English name is Michelle Robinson, and I use she and her pronouns. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Nitsitapi, which is the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south and the imposed U.S. Canadian border are the Blackfeet, and north of the border are the Siksika, Ganai, and Bogani of the Confederacy. These lands are Treaty 7, signed September 22, 1877, with signatures that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Wesley Chiniki and Bearspaw Nation of the Stony Nation, and the Dene from Sutina. I acknowledge all First Nation, Métis, Inuit, status and non-status across Turtle Island as the keepers of these lands. All non-Indigenous are treaty partners with the government signing on your behalf. I honor the Blackfoot as the elders and members have been really kind to me on my Red Road journey. Elder Red Crane taught me how to pronounce my spirit name in Blackfoot. And recently, Leonard Kenny taught me how to pronounce my spirit name in Satu Dene. Um, I was born in Calgary, or in Blackfoot, Mokinstis, or in my language, Tinne Indahe, as Michelle Elliott, an English name which has afforded me English privilege in an English colonial world. My mother is Northern Slavey Dene, or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act imposed status card by the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian. I'm a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution while having an Indian Act and Post status card. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake Tribe in Treaty 11. And I just wanted to make that distinction. It was thanks to Elder Kenny, I, or Chief, I should say, he taught me that we are a tribe and I should start saying um, that. So I'm native to Turtle Island. My Dene nation is a visitor to this area, Kumshotene Indehe, in Satu Dene, meaning many horse town, named after the Calgary Stampede. Land acknowledgements are critical for creating a safer space for Indigenous, as well as honoring the host as the guest and acknowledging your role as a treaty partner. My humblest apologies to the Blackfoot and Dene elders, the language keepers, as I learn proper pronunciation. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage all uh, I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible and do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous. I just share my road as I walk this journey. Um, my Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you to my previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. To those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments or your questions. Also, giving a review helps whichever medium you're listening from. And I also have a YouTube channel that you can go and subscribe. Go to nativecalgarian.com for the latest podcasts and pin posts on social media with a caveat that nativeyyc on Instagram has been hacked. And I apologize if uh, you were sent a private message asking you to join Bitcoin, help me in something. I never send uh, private messages like that. And I apologize to any of my listeners that got hacked. For me, it was, you know, it, it came through a, a nonprofit organization that I thought I, I could trust. And I, here we are. Um, by the way, I know a lot of you are like, oh my God, they have a way to do it. Yeah, no, I followed it. I did uh, two videos that they rejected every single day. I go on there, let them know that it's 
been hacked by somebody who claims to be me and Instagram is just not user friendly for that type of thing. One time they sent me a message at like two in the morning and I, I responded at like seven in the morning and five hours was too much for them. So um, I wasn't able to, I, the time had elapsed or something. It's, it's just so ridiculous. So absolutely do not recommend Instagram in any form for that. I have a private account, not going to share it because there's no point. Um, so my apologies to folks for that. I uh, don't recommend Instagram, but I do have lots to talk about today. Um, and unfortunately, they kind of all go together, even though people may not think they do. So I am going to name this podcast Patches and Recovery. And the reason for that, for anyone who isn't in Calgary, who's listening. So my husband told me we have reached a, a moment in time now where Ontario is my bigger demographic by like 0. 0.00, you know, like it barely, barely. So I, Alberta, Alberta has always been my, my majority of listeners, but it, it sounds like Ontario has caught up and slightly surpassed um, on uh, Alberta. So hello to all of my, my listeners across the world. Um, every so often we look at our demographics and realize it is everywhere. You're all listening. And I'm really, uh, I appreciate you listening. I don't know why you do, but I, I appreciate it. Um, you know, I, I'm just really and truly a native girl from small town Alberta who got a beat into me. I'm just a dumbass native yet. I became more than just a, you know, manager of Subway, which was like, the highest regards that people gave me at the time. Um, you know, a lot of folks that I get some free university education that I didn't ever receive. I uh, worked really hard um, at a full-time job for nothing to take night courses at SAIT to become a drafter. And, you know, I've lived a good life. I'm not going to lie. So I, I talk about privilege a lot in this, um, but I, I just want to say thank you to my listeners. I, I never thought I'd have a podcast and I never thought people would listen to it. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you. So if you're not from Calgary, Alberta, Canada, which is Monkinstis territory, which I've talked about repeatedly, um, you might not know that there is a controversy here about uh, the blue, thin blue line patch. What is that patch? So I am actually for the first time, I don't know if it's the first time, but I'm gonna share my screen and uh, talk to show folks what I'm talking about. So if you're seeing my screen, United States blue line imagery has, is what police, uh, when someone dies, especially in the line of duty at sometimes. Um, so why is this significant? We've seen a lot of the white supremacists use this. And as you know, people are saying in this article, it was co-opted by extremists with hateful ideologies and promoted their views that run counter to police department's core values and that impedes our efforts to build trust. So, you know, this is something from um, NBCnews.com. This is, you know, national news in the States talking about the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, obviously really a lot more to say there. I, I can share the links to anybody who requests them. I thought it was important to share that because at the end of the day, this movement to have a thin blue line for uh, police uh, solidarity is actually now a hateful uh, symbol 
and folks are, seem to be unaware of this. So uh, here's another example from the UK about the Union Jack badge with the thin blue line, and they were all asked to remove it. And it's really important because like a spokesman said, you know, the police expect us to look smart and professional. It doesn't go um, as part of their uniform standards and apology and uh, appearance policy. And this matters because like, this is directly from the Queen and we take all of our orders from the Queen here in Canada still, if you can believe it. So it, it is really important that we understand that everybody internationally is taking down these patches. So from Iceland, another one where they were asked to take it down and the RCMP here in Canada gave everybody the directive that you can't wear this while on duty because this has become um, a symbol of hate, although it previously uh, wasn't. So I think it's important that we start bringing up the police um, federations, the union presidents, because it's a problem here in Alberta, here in um, Calgary specifically. And I'm just going to stop sharing the screen now because there's no point in you just seeing my notes. But it, basically, my notes just have the um, you know Cole's notes of of these articles that I was just showing everybody. And, and it's important to highlight that, you know, uh, Capitol Police Officer Brian uh, Sicknick died in the events that are related to the attack of this thin blue line imagery. So, you know, when we talk about the significance of this patch and how it was co-opted by white supremacists, you know, in literally that imagery and that hate that's rooted in it killed one of their own. So the moment Brian uh, Sicknick died, that should have been the moment everybody said, this isn't okay. And frankly, internationally, a lot of police forces have actually figured that out. So it's a, it's a real shame that here in Calgary, we are definitely not seeing that. Um, from that UK one, the police will not use in any way um, support hate speech or symbols that support it. Police officers should not wear any symbols that are not recognized as part of the uniform. This has been emphasized to all of our employees and will be provided. The RCMP is asking officers to instead wear commemoratory uh, blue ribbons, which I think everybody agrees is the right thing to do. Ontario Police um, issued a similar directive. Uh, members of the OPP shall not wear any non-issued uniform items. We will demonstrate neutrality and remain nonpartisan. I think that's a pretty important thing to say because it's very clear that a lot of the ultra right and conservative parties have absolutely attached themselves to this thin blue line and hate speech in general. So I think it's really important people see that. And uh, Toronto Police Service says that the force has been advised to only wear uh, city issued uniforms. And then there's Calgary. We have the Calgary Police Association and the Senior Officer Association and they are the holdout here and as a result the police commission had a year ago with an indigenous woman and a black woman you know started a year of education of the problem with this uh thin blue patch and now here we are where um basically the police are saying screw the commission we're still gonna wear it and it was spearheaded by the calgary police association and the Senior Officer Association. So this sucks. At the end of the day, now we're seeing how little um, control the police commission has 
and frankly, the chief. <laughs> you know, we have the Calgary Police uh, Association and the Senior Officer Association calling the shots in people pushing back, people who don't want to acknowledge hate, discrimination, bias, white supremacy, and obviously Brian uh, Sicknick, his his death. They don't want to even acknowledge it. This New Year's but a year ago, it's already been over a year. There was a Calgary police officer that was his his uh, wife, I guess, has been out so thin blue line. So, you know, obviously you, a, a grieving wife is may not be hearing all of the information, but certainly everybody within the police has been. Um, so the police association, the officer, the senior officer association, they are pushing back. And now we have a whole bunch of cops that are happily pushing back against the commission, which actually amplifies the point that this is absolutely racist. And so why does this matter to me so much? So I've been talking about missing and murdered Indigenous women for years. I've been honored to be a co-chair in the committee that um, you know does the Sisters and Spirit vigils here. We have been educating and educating the city, the police for years. Um, you know, many, many have before me. This is not something we've been secret about. Um, I personally watched the Calgary police be handed the missing unit, um, a, a copy of both the uh, inquiry report. Been asking them 94 calls to action, 231 calls to justice. Where, where is your report? Now, I am a part of the advisory team, so I know that they have a person working on it, but that <laughs> that came at the expense of somebody else who was pushing for it for years. But again, you know, it, there's bias there when it comes from, you know, Indigenous women, Black women, people really listening. No, we know that. And that's their racial bias, their sexist bias coming out, but they don't want to acknowledge it. So, you know, at the end of the day, I um, I know there will always be an Indigenous person at the table reminding the police about, um, you know, 1996, it was our cap, and then it was the TRC, now it's the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Inquiry Report. They're not changing. You have the Calgary Police Association, the Seniors Office Association, they don't care. They, they do not care at all about these, um, you know, colonial history, these recommendations, the calls to action, the calls to justice, uh, UNDRIP, they don't care about any of these things. So now they're basically supporting a patch that was co-opted by white supremacists. And you don't have to just believe me, because I know you don't, because it's just an Indigenous woman talking, God forbid, and your bias is already pre predetermined to not listen to me. Uh, we have counselors that are on the city um, commission. This is a, a a wild, wild story for me to share. So um, some of the counselors that are on the commission, one was, um, oh, a, as I would have called him a friend of mine, but the way he spoke to me recently, I guess he's not. But anyway, a counselor that has represented and I've worked with for years in this area, um, he, <laughs> the way this was framed shows me that there are dark forces within the police association, um, within the seniors office association that are really, you know, the timing of this is so questionable without sounding like a conspiracy theorist. And then I'm, I'm very concerned about <laughs> where we're gonna move forward. So all the conservative media broke a story and the way they framed it came out as if this counselor 
was a road raging uh, person that had to step away from the police commission simply because of this road rage incident. Well, the next day he releases a statement saying he, him and his dog almost got ran over by somebody and he like kicked the tire. And then the person who almost ran him over got out and assaulted him. That's his story. So the way the media framed it, everybody already has looked down on it. People who I have been working with in the defund to fund movement. Oh, for those who don't know, defund to fund is a movement that was created here. And um, it was actually prim primarily black people who started it. And uh, they took a while to reach out to me. So, you know, it, it, um, it was something that I was like, oh, okay, they don't want indigenous voices, cool. But eventually I did end up being a part of it to some capacity, but long after they had already done their work. So I don't wanna, you know, look at like I had started any of that work because I didn't, I wasn't a part of it. I had been speaking out against the police for years, but um, you know, they didn't, didn't want to include me and not for a long, long time. So anyway, um, Defund to Fund was an organization primarily ran by black people here in Calgary that um, in principle, I agree with that, that idea that, you know, police funding gets, you know, tanks, helicopters, uh, SWAT gear, um, canine units, all these things that are not trust building in the community. And um, as a result, um, you know, we would just see astronomical budgets going towards policing when as people of color, as indigenous people, we are shot and murdered by the police regularly and everybody seems to be okay with it. Uh, ACERT, mainly primarily run by um, ex-police officers. So folks like the Calgary Police Association or the Seniors Officers Association are literally the people running ACERT, which is supposed to be a, you know, a citizen advisory group that oversees policing and police incidences in this province. And of course there has never been like rulings in, in, in um, favor of marginalized people. So it, it's just, it's, it's a joke. And basically what's happening now is you're seeing that the police commission, which is supposed to be the directive of policing has become a joke because you have folks in the police um, association and the senior association that don't really give a shit what they gotta say. So now here we are. And of course we know this is the root of every issue that we've ever faced. So um, anyway, um, why this matters? Because at the end of the day, it just shows, it shows how deep run uh, white supremacy and racism and colonialism is in Calgary against Indigenous people and now people of color. And um, it, it just sucks. So anyway, if you're interested in listening to somebody else's voice because you're not interested in listening to mine, please listen to the Sprawl cast. So the Sprawl is an independent media here in Calgary. It's, um, you know, looks deeper into an issue as opposed to conservative run mainstream media. So I, I support the Sprawl and they started a podcast and called it Sprawl Cast. And they have an episode on Councillor Walcott um, who is black and was a part of the original defund fund movement here in Calgary. And he outright said the patch was co-opted by white supremacists. So um, I really recommend that podcast. Um, I really recommend the Sprawl in general. 
I think that they're a really great independent media source. And I think a lot of uh, media sources are, you know, tied to people's funding. So like I'm an independent podcaster, I have no monies from any form of government or um, grant money. I don't get, get any of that. That's why, and, and I'll get into that another day. I've talked about that a million times actually. So why does this matter? Obviously, you know, as somebody who cares about missing and murdered Indigenous women, this is not building trust. Um, you know, we have so many gaps when it comes to when somebody passes and the gaps of services. Um, the services for white people seem to be there right there. But like even me, I had a friend reach out to me from up north, tell me about a cousin of his who had passed away and it's been like five days and we can't get the homicide team to, you know, contact the mother. And she's, I, I feel so helpless and useless. Be a part of these advisor teams. You can be um, the, the co-chair, but at the end of the day, you get blocked by counselors, um, blocked by your premier. So anyone who's conservative, I've just blocked them. There's no point in even trying to engage with these folks. Um, but then also you just, you're not getting anywhere anyway. Um, there's no point in any of this. And it just sucks because you have families in distress, not getting the services that if they were white, they would get, you know, we have this victim services fund here. It never goes to indigenous people. Uh, we never have uh, culturally appropriate services for folks who are indigenous. And um, sometimes talking about these things just seems like so pointless because like white people, they don't care. They don't hold anybody to account. They don't talk about uh, these issues. I mean, I still see, you know, people who are obviously actively involved in politics because so, uh, you know, I follow a lot of folks and, and they'll follow somebody with, you know, thousand people and almost all of their followers are political people, but they're still asking questions like uh, what is hashtag MMIW? They still don't know. So we've had inquiry, we've had news and people still don't know. Um, my own dad, we talked uh, yesterday, we got to see him, and um, for folks who don't know, two weeks ago, Jason Kenney, who is our premier, I sometimes lovingly refer to him as Ken Babe, thanks to a uh, TikToker who, uh, you know, made that up, and I just laughed so hard when I seen it, so I want to say his name is Joshua Grobin, I, I might have got that wrong, and I apologize, but anyway, really funny guy, really clowns um, Alberta politics, so I get a kick out of it um anyway he he is the one who said ken babe so if you ever see me say ken babe i'm actually talking about the premier who blocked me so i hardly feel bad about it anyway anyway um i don't even know what i was trying to get at other than just saying that um we you know we we talk about these issues people don't know it and oh i know what i was saying my dad was telling me um he didn't hear about this news that i'm about to tell you that happened two weeks ago and what happened was Jason Kenney um, wanted to cut well, 13 cents taxes um, because our gas is just over the moon. The NDP rightly said, oh, well, if you do this, we better uh, be able to, to show this, like there has to be some kind of accountability to which everybody's like, accountability? <laughs> it's like ACERT, it's like the police commission, who needs accountability? So anyway, the premier told him and all of his stupid UCPers, okay, go out and, um, and take video of you pumping gas at 13 cents cheaper. And uh, 
they even invited media to see Jason Kenny do it. So he, he goes to, you know, showcase what a great premier he is and how he's saving us money. And uh, he's pumping his gas and the, the cameras were rolling. And for whatever reason, he couldn't get out his, his gas pump out of his truck. Like he struggled and struggled and struggled. And like my husband and I, we both like, uh, well, way back in the nineties, we, we pumped gas and I just, I can't, I can't wrap, like I pump my own gas every day. I can't wrap my head around how he got his gas pump stuck in his truck, but like he couldn't get it out. And I mean, for progressives, I mean, this is so funny and ridiculous, but embarrassing. Like I literally was embarrassed and I, I, you know, <laughs> I, I just kind of laughed at myself, laughed to myself and, and, and just let it go. And I thought, what, a, what an awful thing, but it turned out my dad, he'd never seen it. So uh, my dad, white, uh, so the reason why this matters, because it's the demographics of Alberta, right? Like retired white guy, central Alberta, and he hadn't seen this video. And my dad, he actually likes to think he's a lot more progressive and he'll go to a lot more of the so-called liberal media to see what's going on. And he did not see this, this was missed. He doesn't do Facebook or social media. He, he's still an old school, goes to news sites kind of guy. So, um, anyway he uh he never heard of it so it was me showing them the the uh viral TikTok or viral twitter uh video of it to show him that this had happened and uh you know i like i i'm embarrassed for jason kenny like i'm embarrassed for him we are like i i cannot stand the man he was part of harper's team when they you know sent body bags to reserves for h1n1 um, you know, MMIW is not on my radar. Um, just awful, awful things. And I'm going to give a shout out to the uh, uh, new um, fellow running for conservative leader, Pierre Paulvier. This guy on the day, so 2008 uh, was Harper's apology to Indian residential schools. And this Pierre Paulvier, he says um, that, you know, Indian residential schools just need a work ethic. And of course, Harper made him apologize. And his, his apology included that, wow, these First Nation chiefs have too much power, showing his ignorance about the Indian Act too. So he, he just, he, he's racist. And anyone who supports him is racist, just like this whole um, thin blue line to Indigenous people, I see nothing but racism, you know, and, and worse. I see a fallen officer that they seem to care, say they care for being absolutely erased in this conversation. So, you know, and anyway, I, I did forget to say, say a detail about that. And the detail was this, that the commission, the police commission here in Calgary told the police, look, let's create a patch. Let's create a symbol, something that you can honor your fallen officers but create community in in calgary right because we're supposed to be calgary community focused and they even gave them that option and instead of working with them they're just being defiant and saying no we're going to wear the racist patch so you know as somebody who's uh trying to work with the police it's really hard because i when i work with the police um you know, I, I get to see the new recruits. I get to talk to new recruits. But if you're a new recruit, and clearly your senior officer association and the union are, you know, 
racist, working with racism, happy to side on the side of racism, like they're put in a really bad position too. So of course you kind of get, you know, do I listen to this native woman that I've been taught to hate my entire life through the Alberta uh, public education system and through my parents and intergenerationally, or do I listen to my senior officer and the union about these issues? Who do you think they're gonna listen to? So for settlers, you need to step up here and for uh, people of color, new immigrants doing this whole immigrant model, uh, model immigrant image, you're contributing to the problem. Like this is ridiculous. We should not have to have these conversations. Um, some people are calling for the firing of the police chief. Let me tell you, I worked with the previous chief, worked with this one. I know that this chief, Mark Newfeld, has been trained by a lot of Indigenous women up in Edmonton. And I personally have seen changes because of him becoming our leader. I've seen, you know, um, the, this is small beans to a lot of natives. We, we are like, this should have been done 40 years ago. Couldn't agree more. But since Mark Newfeld has come, um, an eagle feather ceremony happened. What does that mean? So <laughs> a great example of racism that I guess white people don't, don't understand is this. I'm, as a native person, forced to you know, pledge to the queen on a regular basis or the Bible. Two things that have caused trauma, intergenerational trauma, genocide, I'm supposed to swear allegiance to, which is disgusting, but it's part of Canada's fabric because that's the way y'all decided it. So only now has there been an eagle feather that Indigenous officers that choose to can swear on to, you know, maintain the duty to community that they, their, their oath that they have to swear. Small beans to Indigenous people in the sense that this should have been done decades ago, but unfortunately it wasn't, and it is being done now, and Mark Newfeld was the, was the chief that wanted to do it. Um, acknowledgements of our flags, acknowledgements of like Métis Day, these are things that matter. This isn't something that is new because of the chief. This is the years and decades of work by Indigenous officers that were telling the force, this is a thing, this is a thing, weren't doing it, weren't doing it. Um, finally, we're smudging in new recruits. That was something that was not done under the previous chiefs. So I know it seems like small potatoes to some people, and it is to a lot of Indigenous people who think this should have been done from the start of colonialism as part of treaty. Couldn't agree more, but it's only getting done now, and it is getting done. So if you're, you're calling for the firing of the police chief, like that shows me you don't understand the systemic issues within the force. You don't understand the systemic problems with this union, the Calgary Police Association, the, the Senior Officer Association being the problem here. This is systemic. You know, like the young recruits that are first coming into the force are being trained by that, you know? And, and so we, Canada, Alberta, Calgary needs to understand there needs to be a shift in your media, your education, the training, all of it, but systemically within the force. Like there needs to be accountability against this associations, these two associations, I should say, because it, there isn't. They can say whatever they want. I, when I ran in 2017, nobody cared that an Indigenous woman was running. 
and I did not get any support, but I did sure get the Calgary Police Association treat me like garbage. And, and I thought it was clear racism on display, but because Canadians don't see racism, they didn't see it. And that was, that, that's the irony. They didn't even see it. So um, another point I should bring up, um, you know, obviously the UCP are such a, a, an awful group that anybody could be better than this. And I feel the same way federally because Jason Kenney is just a, you know, throwback from the uh, conservative party of federally. Right. And, and they're just all filled with these people who don't want anything progressive at all. And so obviously the alternative in Alberta is the NDP and uh, uh, North, Maryland North Pagan, the uh, commissioner, uh, one of the co-chairs of the, the commission, police commission, she actually got the nomination for um, Calgary Klein. So if there's somebody you're looking into volunteering for, donating, uh, endorsing, this is the person that we should be uh, promoting. Um, on a sidebar, I'm, I'm very concerned. You know, we, we got jo Jody Wilson-Rainbow elected federally. We all seen the shit show that happened as a result. And I, I don't wanna be setting up Maryland for this, but at the end of the day, you know, Rachel Notley tweeted out something about I don't know, John wants a job and Jane wants to get a disability check. And, you know, it was something really ridiculous like that. Somebody called it out and was like, this is like low bar. But I made the point that I think folks in Ontario may not understand, especially, you know, I was born and raised in Alberta and I heard this uh, fictitious couple of Martha and Henry from Ralph Klein my entire life about, you know, well, Martha and Henry, they want lower taxes. You know, so there was always like this fake story and, and you know, that, that's just the way it was. And so to hear Rachel Notley, basically, they didn't, she didn't say Henry and Martha, but she did say really, you know, white English names. Um, it, it, it's that embedded racism. Like I grew up in, in this system, the Alberta, Alberta education system. And, um, and I don't, I want to make that very clear. I, I am not a 60 scooped. Uh, growing up in that system. You'll hear a lot of Indigenous say we grew up in the system. They're actually referring to the child welfare system. I'm not that person. I meant the Alberta education system. Um, so the Alberta education system was like, you know, Dick, Jane, and Spot. Everything was white supremacist, um, English only, um, white is the best type of language. Relevant, really relevant because again, as an Indigenous person, you know, I see these parties, they never reflect me. <laughs> but I am going to work with Marilyn the best I can to see if she can make some changes. Um, you know, she was the one who wrote the uh, White Goose Flying Report here in Calgary, which was a, um, a municipal look at the Truth and Reconciliation Commission report and saying, okay, here's some, and, and I thought it was very conservative. Here's some conservative guidelines for the city to implement, which we've seen zero action on. So, you know, but it wasn't from a lack of her telling um, the, the city it wasn't a lack of, the indigenous community in general telling the city. That's why um, for folks who not are not here, two years ago, there was this like three day conversation about racism at city council. And a lot of community members stood up and told the city what they thought. <laughs> Me, Marilyn, lots of folks boycotted that because I was so gaslit and angry and hurt. All of these decades of telling these counselors the problems of racism and then obviously clearly ignoring it 
and being, oh my God, so shocked when they heard it now from other community members. And I'm like, fuck you, fuck you, fuck you. <laughs> Thanks a lot, guys, for not listening and validating a damn word we had told you over decades. So yeah, no, it sucked. Anyway, it's not from a lack of community telling Indigenous community and non-Indigenous community the city that there's racism and you know showing up to the table with lots of solutions but you have non-indigenous or non-people of color in positions of power going yeah that's fine yeah i'm an i'm a model immigrant i don't need to implement this so thanks a lot folks thanks a lot so this is where we're at as a city for folks listening in and i appreciate you listening to my rant of this whole thing moving on why does all of this matter? Absolutely related to the next conversation I'm going to talk about. So I had seen this thing being advertised on social media called the Recovery Capital Summit 2022. And I had a look at the uh, program and it turned out it was like almost $600 just to attend this thing. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's not something for me, that's for sure. So I'm going to share my screen here for folks who are not on YouTube and listening on through the podcast. I hope that um, it makes sense what I'm telling you here. Uh, but for folks who can see it on on my um, on YouTube, you can see like there was a nice glossy um, program guide that tells us all about the recovery capital. Why does this matter to me? Well, I'm, you know, facilitator for Mending Broken Hearts of the White Bison Society. They're the ones who run the 12-step program through uh, uh, the medicine wheel. Now, the thing I learned after getting certified is that so many Indigenous folks here in, in positions of power and positions of leadership with the Friendship Centers, they've they've already created some sort some sort of recovery. Um, medicine wheel type cultural support. And sometimes they were implemented, sometimes they weren't, sometimes they ran out of funding, grant funding, um, which means like as soon as we have something good and positive, it's immediate. The Conservative Party or, or not even them, I should say all colonial parties are like, hmm, that seems like they're healing themselves. We better get rid of that. So that's what they do. They just cut the funding immediately. Or you have um, you know, oh, I don't really like that Michelle Robinson because, you know, she's pretty outspoken. So we don't want her employed here because we don't want to jeopardize funding enough for other things. So they fire her, right? Like this is, or no, they can't find the funding for that position. So you can talk to any indigenous person who works in nonprofit where we get cycled in and out of these positions because, you know, God forbid we stand up and speak the truth. Um, and nonprofits really don't like that. Which brings us to this. So this was uh, this Recovery Capital Summit, you know, funded so heavily by the Alberta government, so the UCP government, um, but also sponsored by lots of nonprofit that received their funding from the UCP government. So we're talking a lot of like Christian-based, white supremacist type nonprofits that don't have cultural supports. And this is the other thing I found out. So basically, this was a campaign launch for um, the UCP government's new Alberta model. Now, they don't believe in harm reduction. I can't believe I've been sharing my screen here this whole time and then not actually showing you what I'm talking about, and I apologize. Um, so 
I'll show it in the small little little side here. This is what what I'm talking about. Um, I shared this and I said, oh, I'd love to go to this. And they contacted me and said, hey, why don't you get a media pass? I'm like, sure. So I did. I couldn't believe it. They gave me a media pass. And I said, don't worry, I promise I'll make a podcast. I hope they don't regret that. But there isn't anybody uh, speaking out against what they've seen, because if you work in the industry, you want to keep working in the industry. If you are a nonprofit, you want to keep your funding. But I'm not either of those. So let me tell you what I thought. I thought this was a UCP campaign model for um, a conservative concept of addiction and recovery. And what that means, what does that mean? So backstory, folks who don't know, Jason Kenney actually uh, stopped um, gay, lesbian, mainly gay, mainly gay couples from being able to die in dignity during the AIDS crisis in San Francisco. Literally, this is what he did as a kid. He's like, oh, damn those gays, fuck them. I don't want them dying happy in any capacity, even though they're dying of AIDS. So, and at that time, everybody thought you could catch AIDS by just being in the room with somebody, right? Like it, it was just awful. So anyway, um, you know, even today, there are problems and barriers that the LGBTQ2 plus community face when they're trying to get healthcare in any capacity. So at that time, what he was doing was stopping their, the boyfriend the, from being able to be with them in their last moments. That was literally what he did. So this is the type of mentality he comes from, as opposed to, you know, somebody trying to just give people dignity. Um, LGBTQ2 plus are, are regularly rejected from their family. I wish that stat was wrong, but the stats prove it for folks who care about looking up that issue. So forcing the very people that basically kicked you out, um, said you're not my son they were the ones allowed in the hospitals but not their partner who had cared for them through this aids uh, crisis that was happening um why does that matter because today fast forward what 40 years i guess it's been now <sighs> um you have a conservative thinking when it comes to addiction and recovery what does that mean so abstinence abstinence is the best just like it is works for women, said no woman ever. Um, but there are lots of women who have internalized misogyny and as a result, believed in very conservative views. And ironically, I was raised conservatively in Alberta and yet I don't share these things because once you read and see the evidence, you know that abstinence-based models don't work. So basically what Jason Kenney is calling the Alberta plan is, um abstinence type models with strong policing in order to help people in recovery now a lot of people in positions of power in these nonprofits believe that because that's what they were raised with that's what they were taught in schools um, everybody taught anti-indigenous bias for decades through media through their education through post-secondary education um, so you know lots of folks look down on indigenous people when it comes to addiction issues and not acknowledging intergenerational trauma. Worse, for a lot of folks who don't know, the conservative talking point when it comes to Indian residential schools and the um, unmarked graves is, well, we haven't dug them up, so we can't prove that, which is not only false, because during the flood here in Calgary, a bunch of were unearthed and had to be reburied, um, but there, there's lots of evidence of it. So it, it's, um, it, it's incredible, the denialism that people will go to with this. 
And um, I, I really wish Canadians would call that out. But I know you won't because you don't want to lose your power. And it's so much easier for us to just die of genocide than it is for you to lose your power. So you won't. So thanks, guys. Appreciate that. I'm being very sarcastic and fuck you. Uh, so back to the recovery capital summit. Obviously, we want to continue genocide in Canada. The best way to do that is to continue with not giving cultural supports and to continue with this abstinence-based model. So I show up. I didn't expect that. That was just my my observations. When I showed up, I couldn't believe Jason Kenny was there. So, you know, I have no qualms. I'm like, fuck it, I'm media. I'm going to go up and, and say hi. So <laughs> I go, hey, Premier, uh, can I get a pic? He's like, sure, nice to meet you. I'm like, we've met before. I'm Michelle Robinson. He's one of his uh, staffers, I learned out it was, was like, hey, do you want me to take it? And I started going for the selfie. And he's like, no, she's like Trudeau. And I'm like, yep, learned it from him personally, which is true. And this was the picture we snapped. Goofball. But you can see in my eyes, I'm like, fuck. That's pretty much how it felt. Oh, we got a ton of, of snow that day. It was a snow day. So that's why I wore that sweater because it's just so ridiculous. Oh, but let's just point out one cute little thing. Bear Grease Toque. So I went and seen uh, Bear Grease and it's a Cree production of Greece only indigenous style so funny so great if you get an opportunity to see it just do it just do it it's so worth it and you know um it was really great uh you say actually sponsored me and my daughter to go and I had the best time and I was so grateful to go and it, seeing that type of representation is just absolutely amazing highly recommend it for everybody please go see it if you can and you know i kind of wore that for a lot of reasons but mainly to be like uh you know if you see me come yeah you know, i'm wearing a red toque because i was the only person there not in a suit obviously <laughs> anyway so this recovery summit like a really nice glossy page thing telling us uh, what to expect so the first morning was breakfast i registered for that and got to hear jason kenny speak got to hear the Associate Minister of Mental Health and Addictions, the Honorable Mike Ellis. Now, I say honorable because if you're from, if you're not from Canada and you're listening, thank you for listening. But here, um, I, I was raised to use terminology that is colonial, and um, our elected ministers who have cabinet positions are are called honorable. Um, so, like the Mayor of Calgary is called uh, your your worship. So, you know, if I were to see the mayor, I would say it just to say it. Um, the first time I seen Justin when we got elected, I said, um, oh, right, honorable prime minister. And uh, it, it always makes every elected official uncomfortable. So I highly recommend doing it for two reasons. One, you sound like you actually know what you're talking about, which you might. And it is important to acknowledge those titles, but it, it is respectful to acknowledge those titles. And then two, usually makes them uncomfortable. And when you're an indigenous woman, it's a lot of fun to make settlers uncomfortable. So I do it. It's it's a sport for me, really. Um, anyway, uh, Mike Ellis, you're going to hear me talk about him quite frequently because he is the uh, Associate Minister of Mental Health and Addictions. And like, honestly, this entire program was just um, him and Jason Kenny patting each other on the back, along with all the social workers and nonprofits, patting each other on the back for you know, being part of the problem, not the solution when it comes to these issues. Um, so just to kind of go down. Oh, oh yeah, this was I, I live tweeted. And of course, because they're conservatives, they were blaming 
Trudeau and the NDP for underfunding mental health. Um, and I, I pointed out, oh, you know, like the ones you've been on. And honestly, like we've had so many decades of conservative rule in Alberta. He's like literally making fun of the conservatives too. I mean, he doesn't even know it because he's too dumb. So, um, so it kind of joke. I don't know if for folks who don't, might not know, um, the former conservative Indian affairs um, minister is sitting there and Tom Mulcair from the NDP federally is looking down at him like, get the fuck up and clap you ass wipe. And of course he won't because he's a conservative dickwit who doesn't care anything about indigenous people. So anyway, <laughs> so conservatives always talking about God bless. So, you know, I told people to get out the bingo cards of uh, conservative talking points and God bless is always on there. Thank police. This was very much a pro-police um, two-day seminar. So I, I encourage that. And, you know, he, he talked about the Government of Canada app. So for folks who don't know, when the, the pandemic started, there was a health minister who had ties to um, the app that the Government of Alberta, financial ties to the app that the Government of Alberta was promoting. And of course, what are they doing with this new recovery model that they want? They're doing an app. So that was his big spill was, you know, get the app and that will help you in recovery. Um, I'm not gonna lie, I don't disagree with that, to be frank. Like, so I'm actually a liberal and I believe in evidence and I do believe a lot of people would benefit from an app. I, 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 I'm, again, it's something that should have been done decades ago. It should have been done. So I guess I had my daughter in what, 2007, it's 2022, at least a decade ago, this should have been available by health professionals of every government and it should be nonpartisan, but you can't do that in Alberta, especially got two god bless you thank god it's over next speaker honestly it's just torture listening to these guys uh professor david best um he does he's he was listed as uh one of the folks that were going to speak and his conversation was ink spots and ice cream a framework for method or um building recovery capital he, he actually wasn't that bad um i i thought he he made some good points but he's an he's an older fella and you know they, they gave the bios of everybody that uh, was the prominent speakers basically and what you would look when you look through it you will see a lot of folks are american and now i i've talked about it a million times on this podcast a lot of conservative politics in in canada comes from conservative politics in the states uh you can read uh things the road to armageddon by marcy mcdonald and it talks a lot about that so anyway, a lot of the folks that are, are listed here, their bios are here. I didn't get a chance, obviously, to see everybody because you kind of had to pick and choose which ones you were going to see. Um, so I listened to him and I didn't hear anything really worth tweeting about. So I took a break and I went out and seen this really cute recovery gnome project. So for a lot of folks who, um, you know, I, I, have a, I have lots of family who are alcoholics in recovery. And um, talking about it is hard with folks. So this uh, recovery gnome project is literally just uh, some painting you do while having your AA meetings and then talk or your Al-Anon. So for folks who are family members of, uh, highly recommend going to Al-Anon so you know what uh, your family members are going through. 
and you try to meet them where they're at in the best way they can. Anyway, this kind of a thing you can do while you're in these meetings and, and then that way when you're displaying it, you can talk about it to anybody who wants to talk about um, addiction in any form or matter. No different than any other awareness campaign, in my opinion, except I really love gnomes. And for Indigenous people, you know, we truly believe in, in little people. And I have my own stories. I'm not going to talk about that here. I don't believe in sharing that type of cultural um, teaching with folks on a podcast. And uh, I know a lot of elders would not appreciate me doing that as well. Anyway, I thought it was cute because I love gnomes because I think they are representative of the little people that we believe in. So, um, and because of the talking points that I heard from uh, the ministers, I obviously I just was like, oh, reminder. And Rachel Notley had just tweeted the UCP cut $800 million from this year's health budget. So that's why when the earlier tweet, when um, Buddy had the audacity to talk about how it's mental health has been underfunded, it's like, yeah, it's been underfunded. Health has been underfunded consecutively under conservative governments. So it, it's just it's just so ridiculous to hear a conservative trying to um, say that they're the answer to health or mental health when they're literally the root of the problem. Um, I, a lot of Albertans who were born and raised here will remember when uh, Ralph Klein cut a lot of the mental health facilities that we had and we knew that those people, the most disabled people, would end up actually on the streets and that's exactly what has happened. And how do you cope with being on the streets? Addiction. And how do you deal with that? Demonize um, people with addiction. And that has just been the mantra of Alberta and conservative thinking. Another reminder for those in recovery that think the system is good, it's not, it's underfunded and it's broken thanks to this of the NDP because I'm helping Marilyn North again. I ran for the Alberta Liberals and I truly know that it, this is a broken system. And when we ran, our, um, our platform was really clear about the investments we wanted to put not just in health, but in mental health as well. Um, so I, I thought this was a perfect time timing by the Alberta Liberals to put this up and I promise I didn't have anything to do with that. Um, and I said, uh, clearly recovery prison models from the UK are the main theme. So again, you know, here we are colony of Britain. And what are we talking about? Another British style, a conservative style. So uh, Boris Johnson, conservative, total idiot, in my opinion, much like our premier, much like Harper, our former prime minister was conservative way. Well, we'll just put addicts in prison. Why have mental health facilities? Um, and again, a lot of people make a lot of money from the prison system. So who are they really uh, helping? They're helping their um, voters who believe in uh, prisons, right? And that anyone who is in harm reduction, who is in uh, recovery, no. Recovery prisons is never the answer for helping people out of addiction. Um, and I also wanted to point out that because the UK is way over there and they didn't do what they did to the indigenous people here it is totally not the same totally not the same um so again the liberals had had tweeted out more about um the justice system being problematic and uh needing issue like needing reform which has of course been said in the royal commission on aboriginal peoples the truth and reconciliation commission the national inquiry reports like it's all there we've been telling everybody here in Canada, guess what is the problem? Let's fix it. And here are the Alberta Liberals like shining a light on that. This is not something the NDP can do. Why? Because they were in government for four years. 
let's not forget the goddamn root of trauma in Alberta, genocide, happy anniversary colonizers. Because of the day one of the summit was the 146th anniversary of the Indian Act, the most racist colonial law that stole children, stole lands and continue to destroy generations. That's why I talk about how our issues here are not the same in the UK. But you know, I challenge speakers, including Dr. David Best on that, and they they don't have much for Indigenous evidence when it comes to any of this. And yet, who's disproportionately in, in addiction and recovery? Indigenous. Who doesn't have cultural supports? Indigenous. So it's just such bull crap. I'm so angry when I just, like my blood pressure, holy. So this is where I asked if they had any Indigenous data, and they didn't. Um, a friend asked about sovereignty and ownership of the data, and Dr. Best says it's best that uh, people own their data. This is relevant. So, for example, um, a podcast that I did a, a while ago, I had the guest call and say, hey, I'd like to take down my podcast. And I said, absolutely, absolutely. So we, we took it down. Um, but this is an example of like people who participate in giving data, they don't get to take control of that so there's something from the first nation information governance center so if you were to look that up fnigc they do training on ocap principles so ownership control access in, to the data all of that it's really important that people understand indigenous have been studied to death and if you have a white colonial lens with no cultural understanding the data looks awful so first nation um, information governance center tries to change that narrative to show how this data with a cultural lens is relevant in the solutions and they train non-indigenous entities uh, for a fee on how to how to do that so if you're a university um, this these principles are incredibly important you know every government should be doing it every um, health agency but ironically if you're conservative you can just ignore that so that's what they do so I tried to share some of the, um, you know, conversations that were happening. I, I got to see Dr. Ray Baker, a recovery coach. Oh yeah, this is, so they were trying to promote coaching, free coaching for folks um, and, and training. I'm actually not against that. I think that everyone should have some concept of how to help people with addictions, uh, not go back into their addiction. Um, so anyway, the, I, I took pictures of their slides and, and to show people this is what we're talking about. So for people who care about this, this will matter to them. Um, but I, I really think this is important. 12 step mutual support groups at least as effective as any treat, treatment modality. Like bottom line is if you don't have support, ongoing support after um, you know getting sober in some capacity, you, you're, you're not going to be able to continue. You have to deal with your trauma and anyone who's heal, on a healing journey knows this is for the rest of your life so you need to be supported with people who understand the journey that you're going with right uh, addiction is a disorder most folks will recover from i found that very interesting so basically in alberta if you were born and raised here you were always told this mantra that well are you a functioning addict because we we think it's fine if you're a functioning addict in fact we will utilize your addiction especially if you have a work addiction to um, get things done and you know low right no pension, whatever. We just use you, abuse you. It's that's capitalism. Woohoo! So, you know, here in Alberta, as long as you're a functioning addict, we're okay with that. So this idea that you know addiction is something that most people will recover from is just kind of a continuation of that you know conservative 
belief set. And I was like, Dr. Ray Baker said that. Cool. So basically what this summit was, was picking and choosing the doctors that you wanted to hear from that said the um, pro-police um, abstinence models that you, you really wanted. That was the majority of their speakers. And um, that became really painfully evident. So anyway, posted this, you can have a look if you want to. Um, really important, uh, Ian Thompson, you know, 555 deaths in Calgary alone, 666 in Edmonton, exceeding Vancouver's drug toxicity deaths. Um, you know, and, and asking the ministers important questions like, what does the whataboutism stop and the meaningful action begin? Um, when do you act as Minister of Health? You know, Jason Kenney, as you were, no one wants your solutions. And then we have this wonderful health advocate in Vancouver, Kay Ward, that, you know, talks about these issues as well. So these are the folks that I follow because, you know, they, they have more successful harm reduction strategies as opposed to what we see. Um, yeah, again, I was challenging people about that. So then they made it part of their conversation, but you notice that it's never in any of their slides. <laughs> oh yeah, I took a short video so you could see. Um, look, I, I just found it interesting, some of the dates on here that we're still going back to like, you know, community reinforcement approaches of 1995. So like when I was already out of high school, um, the evidence and their opinions, you know, and, and this is what they're really pushing is this recovery coach and how they you know have to be the the gap filler so that's what they want for folks um you know i found it funny when people use chinese symbol the symbolism and they're not chinese i'm like mm, okay that's cool uh i want to move on more to um the next day and the reason for that is because that was where i heard i guess i can't i have to still talk about you're not going to believe who they brought in um so Michael Schellenberger, Berger, I don't know if he's French or not, the heroism of recovery. He is pro-arrest, anti-harm reduction, been on Joe Rogan's podcast, and has two books that is published. And if you were to Google his name, there is absolutely no credibility to anything in his books. This is Jason Kenney's big speaker. He actually went out, did some conversation with some US guy about energy, came back just to hear this guy just to hear him because he's anti-harm reduction model. So it was pretty bad. But at this point, I was pretty disappointed with the amount of like Amway style commercialization of mental health that I had heard. Um, so let's leave that behind and go to day two because that, that was at least better. Oh yeah, so Mike Ellis shows up and he takes the mic and he acknowledges indigenous people, but he doesn't acknowledge our lands. So it wasn't a real land acknowledgement. And um, so that really was annoying, but he is a former cop. So of course he talked about being a cop and how, um, you know, some fictitious character came in and said, oh, you don't remember me. You helped me, you gave me a talk and now I'm sober, thanks to you. Ugh. So anyway, he was back to campaigning this Alberta model with a bunch of false numbers of investment in health, as I've already shown you with other people's data, that it's just, a, it's a lot of lies telling to people who will never look into it. They just assume it's right. He used a lot of language about, uh, with fear and stigmatization about addiction. So like, you know, I, if you listen to the way I speak, like I don't call people addicts because that that's back to stigmatizing language people with addiction, right? Um, 
anyway, whenever he quit talking, there was thunderous applause. So I was always laughing because it's like UCP staffers are applauding now. Um, you know, and, and he talked about how, oh, activists are bribing addicts with drugs because we talk about safe supply. So talk about misuse and understanding of what harm reduction is. So rather than having safe supply, they want you to get stuff on the street that could possibly kill you with one one use. So that it, it was just ridiculous arguments in general. Um, claims to be a person that is um, listening to evidence and, and saying that his committee is the first of its kind in North America listening to evidence. But it, it wasn't. It, it's listening to conservative propaganda funded by people who have nothing but interests of making money and building a model based off of that. And um, anyway, so just gave a whole bunch of crap here and, you know, always digs at Rachel Notley or Justin Trudeau throughout the entire thing, um, you know, uses Indigenous as a talking point, but won't give like explanation. Oh, the Sixika Nation gives me hope. Um, you know, Sutina opening up a treatment center in the spirit of reconciliation, but not talking about why Indigenous needs are different. You know, we didn't bring Esther Tellfeathers here. No, we brought the chief of the blood tribe to talk about things. So anyway, it's really just a campaigning of the recovery plan coming out. And this, it was really important that they said that this Alberta model is going to be used across North America. So this conservative platform of pro-police, pro-prison, abstinence is going to be used in any other conservative jurisdiction that they can get in North America and then take credit for it. So it, it wasn't fun to listen to because I knew that this is completely regressive. Um, yeah lots of conversations about what I heard that I just was like, oh God, please save me from this conversation. You know, this Jessica Cooksley, she said she had a visceral reaction when anybody says harm reduction. And I just thought, why are you here then? You need to heal. You don't need to be speaking. But she was, you know, the white blonde that the conservatives were perpetuating their model through. So of course she was like, you know, one of the main speakers. Um, but so I, I almost got to the point where I wasn't even going to listen to Charles Weaselhead because I, I just didn't know how much more I could stomach. And actually, folks that I knew didn't even come to the second day because the first day was so revolting. Uh, but anyway, you know, I was there to do social media, so I wanted to show people what people were talking about. I was really disappointed in, in the her language, really fear stigmatizing language, um, claim that the minister did a land acknowledgement, which he didn't. So. It was pretty hard listening to these talking points. I couldn't believe it. Uh, tried to share some of the information because I thought it was important. Yeah, uh, so much cynicism in her speech. I just <laughs> couldn't believe I actually think I'm... thing about long Twitter threads is that they're hard to unpack and show everybody. So for folks who are watching YouTube, you're seeing my um, you know, circle anyway. Uh, she did say that she has bipolar type two and has a lot of experience in BC on mental health systems. So they did bring in lots of speakers from BC. They didn't actually have Albertans talking about Alberta issues because if they did, then they'd see, you know, consecutive conservative programming has not helped us in any, any way. Um, yeah, so there was a, there's a five minute video for folks who are interested in watching this My Alberta Plan that is basically they're going to be promoting uh, across North America, if you're interested. They gave us uh, the flyer. So finally Chief Weaselhead took the floor and did an actual land acknowledgement. Um, 
oh my god he made this joke that i just fucking died he's like uh, yeah shout out to the premier honor honorable minister ellis and uh the chief of staff as you're not my indian agent yet <laughs> so anyway he talked um they want to share a lot of his slides because i think it's really important that non-indigenous understand this um i had a, a good friend of mine say um somebody recorded his entire presentation and duplicated it and they charge like hundreds of dollars for speaking fees while sealing my friend's content and that is a conversation that is so freaking true anyway Chief Weaselhead, as conservative as he is, he, he spoke very um, kind to the Premier, despite that one joke that was pretty funny. Uh, but he talked about all the right things. He talked about MMIW, he talked about Indian residential schools, 60 scub, all the things causing the trauma. And just kind of did an overall a history of his work in the addiction recovery centers that they've done on the blood. So it was really important. And um, you know, he talked about in indigenous youth health issues needing addressing and we all know it's not um anyway he he's i wanted to make, also make a point to non-indigenous that it's important that they understand when they see chief and councils supporting clapping along with these conservative not not even even the federal liberals ndp where there there's an oppression dynamic there if we don't pretend that we're like listening, we're engaging, we agree to some extent, we lose our funding every time. Like it's not even a question. So we have to make relations with these folks who are oppressive to us, no matter what position of power they're in. Even mayors and local indigenous sharing circles, like these are the conditions we're under all the time. But because I'm not funded by these motherfuckers and because I'm not um, you know, beholden to them, of course, I'm going to be honest about this on my podcast. And of course, I see that dynamic. And sometimes our own people don't even see that dynamic and get mad at these chief and councils and um, Indigenous leaders for, you know, not advocating more. And, um, and I don't blame them because I, you know, again, the Indian Act is so oppressive and that dynamic is so ridiculous. They have to have cordial relations with, no matter who's in power. I'm not elected, so I don't have to. Um, but it was really great teachings that he gave. Unfortunately, I said the word trying because I knew nobody in that room was opening to hearing any of this. You know, that cultural, this, that's the joke about when we come in and do our presentations for an hour, you know, you people use us as a checkbox. Oh, I listened to Chief Weaselhead speak for, you know, 45 minutes at the recovery summit. As, and they'll say that as a talking point to somewhat try to pretend like they understand Indigenous issues when they don't. The average person not understanding what an actual land acknowledgement is, you know, stealing our content on a regular basis. Like this is just normalized crap. Uh, microaggressions, holy shit. So one of my least favorite moments in the first day was when and I won't name them, and I won't name the organization, the nonprofit, but anybody who's Indigenous knows exactly who I'm talking about. And this person come up and say, oh, yeah, no, I was sitting with um, the folks from Treaty 6, uh, the chief from Treaty 6, uh, the chief of Treaty 6. And um, I was like, mm, I don't think you know what you're talking about. And sure enough, you know, Treaty 6 wasn't there. Like nations of Treaty Six were there, 
And maybe he did sit at a table with folks from a nation, but he wasn't naming the nation. He was just saying a broad thing. So that's, that's what I mean about cultural teachings, like people who have been working on the ground for years and years and years with Indigenous people still don't have the right language, showing me they don't have the right knowledge, but they'll use this as a talking point of, um, no, we took an hour training once a year ago, as if that somehow means you understand Indigenous issues when you don't. Um, so these were the types of microaggressions that I was hearing from non-Indigenous um, you know, not that it matters, they don't care. It's genocide, who cares in genocide? Oh, he kind of gave some pictures. So at one point in time, like there's like 700 people here and no one's wearing masks but me. And even by the second day, it was really clear, like nobody cared. So to me, this was a super spreader event, but they don't care because they're people of privilege you know, and if they get COVID and give it to another Indigenous person and we die, they don't care. So it's just normalized uh, settler colonial relations to them. Um, and I posted this one because to emphasize, you know, uh, Justice Sinclair's message, um, the commissioner, one of the commissioners of the TRC, you know, I don't know. It's been since 2015 and the average Canadian doesn't understand these basics. So anyway, went to go grab the picture because some media with Chief Weaselhead. And um, I'm, I met uh, Bruce DeMont. I just assume he's an AT elder, older fellow Métis from BC. Uh, we sent him the picture so that we could say, hey, look, we're all here hanging out, learning from each other. Oh, and really liked uh, the ribbons uh, shirt he had there, uh, Chief. Oh, for folks who don't know, it was me, the elder Bruce DeMont, and then uh, Chief uh, Charles Weaselhead. So, Session about oh this was a really good one this is really the whole reason why I wanted to do this podcast so um the second day we had some actually some good speakers um and of course the indigenous ones so earth uh sorry Earl Thiessen and Jerry Beemister um spoke with with one other person it wasn't Jordan Bear Shinbone that was listed it was somebody else uh they talked about healing recovery and indigenous people. And, and, you know, they weren't as restricted as a chief and council were or somebody. So they, they spoke a lot more truth of how hard it is dealing, you know, talking about racism, sexism, colonialism, these things, it was important. So I didn't go to listen to the police that were speaking at the exact same time. So we had chief Mark Neufeld, chief Dale McPhee, chief Dean Lagrange and chief Michael Warden of the recovery oriented policing this is where the police claim that they help people in recovery and addiction without acknowledging historical colonialism racism or sexism or gendered violence which is a root cause to addiction in canada that nobody wanted to address so anyway i didn't hear it but i did hear from other people that um you know, it was just a whole lot of backpatting, you know, oh, we're, we're helping, we're helping community. Um, but my highlight was Avis O'Brien from BC, healing through breath, land and culture. And, you know, she talked about um, self-harm, helping to regulate the nervous system. She spoke so well of the science, brain trauma and how 
uh, our indigenous culture correlates in healing. It was so great. Um, she point blank asked people not to um, record it, so I didn't. I did uh, highlight some of the things that uh, talk about her academic understanding of science along with the cultural teachings. So if you were to go through a lot of that, um, it's actually quite a bit down. So and while she was speaking, Ava O'Brien, a lot of folks wanted to hear Dr. Keith Humphreys talk about addiction-focused mutual health groups and the professional healthcare system, because he was endorsed by that Michael fellow, the last speaker that Kenny listened to the day before. So I knew no matter what, I did not want to hear that conversation. But honestly, um, Ava O'Brien, great speaker, highly recommend her if you can bring her in. Uh, she came in from BC, like, that's the thing about this whole conference. People from all across North America were flown in from San Francisco, from BC to come talk about this. So like, like thousands and thousands of dollars was spent on this summit. And ironically, all it was was a pro-Kenny, pro-UCP, pro-policing conference on addiction. And anyone who's in these circles know that's not the way. Um, I did listen to uh, Nancy Mannix talk about that. It I'll talk about her uh, Palix Foundation of how to build a brain. It was actually embarrassing and childish, and they have uh, oodles of money, and yet this is what they came out with. Highly never recommend it. That's that's what I wrote in my own notes here. Um, the rest of this has a lot of the who sponsored this um, with high emphasis on the UCP, Jason Kenney, and the new Alberta model and app that's out and available. So highly don't recommend um, the recover, recovery capital summit unless you don't believe in evidence. If you want to believe lies, highly recommend going. Um, you know, people who I know in recovery were not at this event because um, again, highly sponsored. And you're not gonna hear criticism from all these folks because they're like, oh my God, I can't wait to go to Calgary and have a two day summer and stay in a hotel and, you know, eat the food there. It was so great, oh my God. Uh, you know, the same people who have no problem apprehending our children and contrib contributing to the trauma of the 60 scoop policy that exists. <sighs> if you are still listening to me, can I say thank you? I can barely stand listening to myself. I can't believe that a lot of you folks listen to me. So thank you from the bottom of my heart. If you stayed with me all the way to the end of this, I'm going to wrap up because this was a really long episode trying to highlight uh, this recovery plan that I was lucky enough to uh, get tickets to go see. Um, I'm proud this podcast has given actual solutions and included cultural safety training, cultural first aid, and all of them to create a safer space for Indigenous people of color, those with disabilities, and LGBTQ2 to speak. So if you were to Google here to help.bc.ca, Indigenous people, Indigenous cultural safety, and why I should care about it, you will find a great action tool by Cheryl Ward, uh, Chelsea Branch, and Alicia Fritkin, who put together uh, these tools that I have said hundreds of times in my podcast. And I just pray people support Indigenous work like this as part of their reconciliation work and settler understanding. I just highlight them here. Um, internalized racism or lateral violence is another form of violence that marginalized folks uh, experience by the structure of racism imposed on these lands. So if you're a person of color, if you're an Indigenous person listening, thank God you keep listening. I don't know why you do, but I appreciate it. Um, learn about internalized racism. 
lateral violence. Um, like this woman I was talking about internalized misogyny. If you're a white woman, you learn about internalized misogyny because like we, we all grew up here. We all heard about how women were inferior. I can't quit thinking about a tweet that uh, said, you know, I broke me and a, this guy went on a date and he couldn't believe that I would outsource housekeeping. And if you're born and raised in Alberta, I tell you, you are taught that that is a woman's job. So that's an example of internalized misogyny. So internalized racism is the same thing where I will jokingly say something like, oh, I'm just a squaw from Alberta. I know that's not true, but that's what I've been told by settler colonialism my entire life. So, you know, it, it's just, it's wrong. It's pathetic. Learned about the internalized oppression that you can. Uh, Donna Bevins has racialequitytools.org and a piece on internalized racism. There's lots of books on it now. Um, so if you see somebody who is, you know, being harassed on C-Train, there are do's and don'ts for bystander intervention by American Friends Service Committee. And actually many organizations have put out like what to do if you're in that situation. So, and then how to interject. Anyway, Indigenous have been talking about issues, traumas in reports, commissions, and public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. Like, you know, City Council of Calgary two years ago at the anti-racism conversation. Um, no more, hear our words, honor our words, honor the treaties, listen to politicians in their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize harm reduction models, if marginalized people in their budget with gender equity plus cutting harm reduction models, uh, violence prevention programs, services, Indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, lack of human rights for migrants, folks with disabilities. Know that your vote to that party is directly negatively impacting marginalized people, folks with addictions. Um, demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action, the recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports about child welfare reform, violence prevention programs, and now 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls and Two-Spirit. Denying these reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing racism in the educational, justice, and, and health institutions with multiple reports that say the same things. Demand change from election platforms and politicians. If they don't understand colonialism, racism, privilege, sexism, ableism, they literally have zero business running should be understood by all parties. Um, you can Google today how to be an ally to Indigenous people. So I highly recommend doing it. There's oodles of, of information. I share it on my social media, and it's just out there and available. If you're experiencing emot emotional distress after anything I talked about today and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Help for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It's toll free, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. If you go to their website, hopefromwellness.ca, they actually do have a text option if that's easier for you. If more related to missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two spirit, you can call 844 413 6649. Again, toll free crisis line for anyone uh, that needs emotional assistance. Uh, for non Indigenous, there are distress lines in your area, usually a functioning 211, or you can call 833-456-4566. Uh, if you're in Alberta, there's a 60 Scoop Indigenous Society of Alberta uh, organization. You can go to ssisa.ca. 
And if you see or experience racism in Alberta, you can report it at Act to End Racism or text them at 587-507-3838. For folks who are LGBTQ2+, there's the Trevor Project. And they, uh, if you go to lifevoice.ca, there's tons of different crisis supports for uh, folks in uh, crisis for LGBTQ2+. <sighs> Violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I started this podcast, to speak freely without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, so that people who don't want to hear Indigenous opinion sure want to tell us theirs, usually by people who know nothing about Indigenous colonialism, constant surveillance of, you know, Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, and our rights, microaggressions. You know, I just needed a boundary to be heard. This is why I'm here. Um, we needed better representation because at the end of the day, a lot of these um, Indigenous-led media are still funded by our, our oppressors. So that's why we need to talk openly about what the truth is. Anyway, thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom, of what strength looks like through your example, my aunties, my uncles. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be blunt and strong, my stepmom for teaching me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family, teaching me to be a proud Calgarian. Although I highly recommend if you are non-Indigenous, do not call yourself a native Calgarian. Why would you identify as a native if you're not native? I can't believe how everyday racism is so normalized in this in the city, but it is. So anyway, it is through my mom, my stepmom, that I'm a proud Calgarian. Anyway, thank you to my husband for producing and editing the show. We just celebrated our uh, 29th year of being together, our 26th wedding anniversary. I want to say thank you for being my husband. I can't believe you put up with me. I can't believe anyone listens to the show. Here we are. You've been my childhood friend, the father of our child. You've been my support down the red road. Uh, last night, we had a, another sacred fire. We do that every full moon. Thanks to him, you know, supporting me. He's also witnessed the decades of racism and sexism. I didn't even get a chance to talk about what's been happening in the last couple of weeks with my issues with Narcan. But again, it comes to this fear, stigmatizing, bull crap that's coming from, you know, the settler community. Anyway, to our child, we are blessed that you chose us. We learn daily from you. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. I hope my daughter and my family will be proud in the future of us trying to discuss these present day issues. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can go and pledge and support. If you learn anything, please consider giving a donation. Uh, thank you to my previous donors for showing your support. If you value listening or watching and can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at uh, gmail.com, where you can send in your comments or questions. I also have a YouTube channel where you can go and subscribe. And I want to um, give side eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not tradish. And my beautiful cousin responded, or you'd be in my dish. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. <laughs>